Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 95 for the week of October 5th, 2020. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. And our special guest, Will Hells. Hey, Will. Hello. Mike and I are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest, and this week we'll be talking with Will about Six on Stage. Will, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Last time on the show was my fun little audio essay about performers who have been the main act at Eurovision multiple times. Uh, Six on Stage was like super instrumental for that. Thank you for that. I did not realize that is a fairly recent website. Yeah, I think I launched it the day of the heads of delegation meeting for the doomed 2020 contest. So I waited until all of the songs and acts had been announced so that I would have a complete 2020 page and then launched it then. And then had to recode the whole thing to uh, to yeah. display 2020. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, 2020 became an asterisk for some reason. Yeah, every, all the entries are, have a funereal black background, and I had to recode the stat display. So it, um, I've taken the decision not to not to count 2020 in people's total appearances. What was the genesis of this project? Over the last couple of years, I've been watching old Eurovision Song Contests with one of my friends. And as that's gone on, a couple of things happened. One was that we started paying more attention to who was on stage and recognising people and wondering who they were. Um, And the other was that uh, my friend David started messing around with data analysis on things like song titles and writers. So he he got hold of a load of data and started saying, well, actually, look, the, the most common word in any Eurovision song title is love, uh, followed by the and me, mm-hmm. and you. And then he looked at writers, and not much of a surprise, discovered that Ralph Siegel was the uh, most <laughs> prolific <laughs> of those. Yes. Uh, and so at the same time, we were, t- we were looking at backing singers and thinking, well, some of these people are quite interesting. So I, I remember looking at um, Antique in 2001, and they've got a, four backing singers. One of them, it turns out, is the person who sings the version of Edelweiss that's on the Man in the High Castle theme tune. Uh, And she also sung backing for Mons in 2015. Uh, One of them has done backing for four different countries, including Heroes and Euphoria. One of them is the Swedish singer Velvet, who has popped up in Mellow several times. Mm. Uh, And the other one is uh, Shirley Clamp of Melody Festival and Fame's only appearance on the Eurovision stage. And so that kind of thing was really interesting. And I wanted to find out a bit more as we went on about who people were, we we you know, we spot um, Hera Bjork and the members of Euroband doing backing on Icelandic entries, and the uh, there's a website called the Digaloo Thrush, which is yes. pretty good, uh, but it was discontinued after 2013, and there's lots of gaps in it. And but I also wanted to be able to do that kind of more structured data analysis. So I wanted to be able to put in a query and say, okay, everyone says. Uh, this person has appeared most, but is it true? How many times have they appeared? Who actually has stood on the stage the most times at Eurovision, which is uh, Georges Costa, who I think you mentioned in the last episode, who has been there 17 times. And queries like who has represented the most countries, which is Georges and Michel Costa, uh, his brother, who've represented seven countries each. And who's performed on the most winning songs? which is still Georges and Michel Costa in uh, <laughs> 73, 77 and 83. Um, and then all the questions that Georges Costa isn't the answer to, like who has performed for Austria the most, which is Gary Lux, uh, who's performed for them six times as both an artist and backing singer. So having the data in a way that you could really drill down into it 
Uh, and the only way to do that was to actually build something of my own, my own database, as much for my convenience, making it a website that I could use, uh, but also one that other people could use. And actually other people could see and see the gaps and, and help complete. So there's still plenty of gaps in Six on Stage, but as, as I've gone on, I've managed to fill in some of the gaps that other sites have had as I've kind of brought all that data. So the first thing I did was build a database structure, work out exactly how you bring these people together, and then grab as much data as I could that already existed online. And then the really exciting job of working through the 5,000 or so people one by one and just checking that what was in there made sense because there's no sources apart from these these websites. They didn't say where they got their information from in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make sure that the information I brought in was actually right. And what clearly happened is every website copied from every other website, which is kind of what I was doing as well. Um, We wouldn't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the same errors just kind of, it looks like, oh, I've got multiple sources proving this, but actually it's the same source that's been Mm -hmm. copied multiple times. So I was trying to make sure, you know, does this person really exist? Is the name right? Trying to deduplicate where they were the same person with slightly different variants on their name. So I went through and tried to verify everything as as much as possible and tidied that up and add bits of biographical information and birth and death dates and interconnect people. So it turns out there's lots of relatives uh, who've taken part in Eurovision. So trying to mark up where people were related to each other so that you could click through and see those connections and also query those connections in the database and actually say how many, I don't know the answer to this, how many winners have had a relative who also performed at Eurovision. Mm. But one day we could we could look at that kind of thing. Sometimes the information was just really clearly wrong, and I've got no idea how it how it happened. Sometimes, yeah, I merged people together. Other time, other, there were a few occasions where I actually had different sources that couldn't agree and gave conflicting information. And I've been I had to sit there with YouTube uh, and I zoomed in really <laughs> grainy footage, yes. and a fo- and, and and reference photos that I could find in Google image search of people. Okay, is is that? person a or is that person b in one case one of the island songs um i, I literally can't tell I, uh, i've get, uh, so far given up and said i'm just not i'm going to take that information off because all i've got is conflicting sources mm-hmm. and i don't trust either of them and there's a well, there's a one belarus song i think it's eyes that never lie has more people listed than are actually on stage oh and and i don't know which one to get rid of oh no <laughs> um, so, oh, so yeah that that is an ongoing issue and then as I went on, I discovered uh, that obviously there's, there's a lot of overlap between the people who were performing. I really wanted to draw attention to the backing singers in particular, because that's what grabbed my interest. Mm-hmm. But then it turns out the people who'd done backing performance, people who'd done lead performance, some of them then hosted the show. Quite a lot of them turn up as spokespeople. Mm. Uh, some of them end up on the juries. And so, oh, uh, and a few people have actually conducted and been on stage. Stefan Raab from Germany seems to have done everything except be in a jury um, and win uh but all, all the other roles he's completed so I, I started putting in some of that extra data as well so that you could get a more rounded view of what people's involvement was you then discover that the person who's actually been involved with the most winning songs is noel keelahan the conductor from ireland who was the conductor in 1980 and 1987 1970, when Dana won, is the only year between 66 and 71 that he didn't conduct for Ireland, um, or he'd have had six. Huh. And then, yeah, uh, and he that was apparently, if I remember from when I watched that one, that was um, 
a dispute between him and the Irish broadcaster who didn't want to pay his expenses. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so, oh, and so he, he, he said, well, then I'm not going to the Netherlands and Ireland won for the first time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Just thinking about both uh, places where data is wrong and, and, multi- and multi-time performers. Like there was one error in, in last time's episode. And thank you for, for pointing that out that, and like I some like when you messaged me, I somehow knew that it was something about Corolla. Mm-hmm. Like somehow my I I just knew that like I had not double checked something on that specific portion of the show. And it turns out that I very proudly state that Corolla is the only three time performer who has been in the top five all three times. Incorrect. Uh, Katya Epstein also placed in the top five every one of her appearances. Uh, she was third in nineteen seventy third again in 1971 and second in 1980 and those were all for germany yeah she um i've watched the 70s fairly recently and um had that very clear memory of going to her wikipedia page and uh reading the overexcited introduction which says some would argue that she is the most successful performer not to win at the Eurovision song contest um, and that, that stuck in my mind as such that, that like extra piece of hyperbole on wikipedia <laughs> yeah yeah but no and i feel like that the venn diagram of the person writing that wikipedia page in our audience is is probably the same circle i i did wonder if the venn diagram of the person writing that wikipedia page and catch epstein was quite a small circle <laughs> <laughs> citation needed <yeah. laughs> um, so so yeah added things like conductors and then uh, there are a handful of people who performed at the Junior Eurovision Song Contest, so I've tried to flag that up in a structured way as well. And what I'm currently doing very, very slowly, because there's way too much data, is adding national final performances, because I also think it's really interesting to see where people have tried and tried and tried again to get to Eurovision before they finally achieved it. And the people who you know, people have 100% hit rates in their national finals, the people who have just tried over and over and over and over and over again and that'd be really interesting to be able to query quite easily too yeah uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of like people like marcus riva in latvia and like just exactly all of yes. yeah oh my goodness so in the in the course of this research have you seen every eurovision that's available online yes or, wow yeah that's what we'd started doing that kind of had triggered partly triggered this and so we started at 97 mm-hmm. uh, because we wanted we thought that'd be an easy way in and we did 97 98 99 and then i think we went back to 1990 and we did the rest of the 90s and then we did the 2000s then the 80s then we started chucking in some recent ones ad hoc to mix it up a bit and do 2011 12 13 we were going to do the 70s then the 60s and the 50s and we decided that would actually be quite it might be a bit, a bit of a damp squib to end on kind of 1959. So <laughs> yeah, after no, you know, no offense to them, but the, uh, Eurovision was a very different beast then. So actually, after the 80s, we then went back to 1956 and started and just went through from 56 to 79. So a few weeks ago, we got to 79. Lockdown in the UK sped it up quite a bit because we went from having to arrange an evening where we'd sit and watch a show together to sitting at home, bringing them up on YouTube and just like syncing our viewing. Mm. And, chatting through them with nothing else to do and nowhere else to go so um, we sped through quite a lot of the 50s and 60s that way and then yeah we got to 79 a few weeks ago so i have now seen everything but i realized the act technically we haven't done 2014 onwards yet and obviously i've seen them before but i was at the 2014 semi-finals and won at least of the 2016 semi-finals 
and the 2018 ones, so I haven't actually ever seen those shows. <laughs> Technically, I haven't seen those, but I was there, so I'm counting it. What is your history with Eurovision, both as like a viewer and going to the contest? I've been a viewer just growing up. It was one of those things that was on every year, um, and you watched as a family on a on that Saturday night uh, in the spring. And then when I went to university, I'm not sure which ones I whether I missed any, but I de- it definitely started to become the kind of thing where people had Eurovision parties. You got together and watched it as a as a kind of fun, slightly silly thing. And I think I've I pretty much watched it in that way ever since and with different groups of people at different times and I would when I didn't live in London I'd come down to London for Eurovision party sometimes and then I, I got a bit more into it and started to get annoyed with people at Eurovision parties like talking through songs and <laughs> not taking it seriously <laughs> enough <laughs> um, and then I think when when Sweden won in 2012 I think I kind of provisionally said oh, actually no it is a thing that you can go to Eurovision I think I start, I think I started to know people who'd been or were going to Malmö and then didn't organize it or really work out what what needed doing and then when Denmark won I'd been to I think I went to Denmark in 2012 or 2013 and said right I've I've been to Copenhagen I know the place I want to go back so me and my now husband said well actually 2014 will be it we're gonna make every effort to get to go to that one so we went to the two semi-finals in Denmark in Copenhagen and because we'd already been the year before we didn't kind of get so caught up in touristy stuff we knew we could kind of focus on Eurovision mm. so we we went down into the I, I remember going from having never been to one of these things to walking through Copenhagen and, and you seeing like building hoardings up with quotes from the Danish entry on walking down the main shopping street and it had banners overhead with the titles of previous winners on and then that took you down to the square, which was they were using as the Eurovision Village. And I remember seeing Sanna Nielsen there and her performing all these Melody Festival and songs I'd never heard of. But now now I look back and go, I love those songs. I wish I'd known what they were <laughs> when I saw her. Yeah, and then going to the two semifinals and the second semifinal, I think it was where Conchita went through to the final. And Conchita was the last act to get announced as going through to the final. Mm. And the, the tension in the room when Austria's name hadn't been called out was incredible and I, I genuinely thought if Austria wasn't the last one through there was going to be some kind of riot in the hall there was this really kind of febrile thing and then the moment that they said Austria just the loudest oh. cheer them. you you must have been able to hear in Malmo on the other side of the bridge because it was huge <laughs> it was amazing and so yeah that was that was a, a great moment the other thing in the second semi-final I seem to remember is we were standing next to the wind machine so <laughs> so anytime a song called for the wind machine there was a guy on a kind of um, a little platform next to us and he would press a button and the platform would go up and then he'd get out his iPhone and he clearly had like time codes written on his script and so at the right point in the song he'd switch the fan on and he'd press the the timer on his iPhone and like wait for the 15 seconds and then switch it off again and the platform would get back down and I as a, as a fan of wind machines at Eurovision that was very exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> how big of a fan like I, I don't think I've seen an actual wind machine as it's, an apparatus it's actually, yeah it's not I mean I'd say it was maybe about the height of a person i think oh wow and it was quite a way back we weren't in the fan area at the front so there was the big standing fan area mm-hmm. <laughs> too many were too many the, the other kind of fan the, <laughs> yeah uh, yes. I, was, I was just having to say bob like no 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 not, the, not those fans this fan yeah so all the eurovision fans with their kind of proper fan club packages down the front and then there was a big walkway and then we were in a pen behind that next to the wind machine okay and it was in this huge warehouse on an island or on a or kind of on the other side of the river from 
the main part of Copenhagen, so mm-hmm. you had to get, get out of a ferry or a bus there. But but the, the city had organised it really well. I think when we even when we arrived at the airport, there were you know welcome welcome for Eurovision stuff there. It felt like you you were you were somewhere that really was happy about hosting and was really well organised. And that's you know, the Scandinavians getting into the both the Eurovision and the extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> spirit so yeah so that was great fun and then we went back in 2016 to stockholm for that one we had one so the second semi-final and the jury final so that was the first time where we went to a final but not a final and i kind of convinced myself that i never i don't really mind going not going to final because i've always watched it on tv and i want to watch it on tv but mm-hmm. if someone said here's a ticket i'd go yeah yeah uh yeah i, I was at the actual final in kiev uh, in 2017 uh-huh. and like that was an awesome experience it's like great to be in the room when that happened but uh mm. yeah the, the following year we got tickets for the jury final in lisbon and i kind of liked having that option where it's like okay get to see all the performances just kind of get, get a sense of how the show is going to work and then just watching it on tv the next day it was yeah like, all right this is it, it was a good way to relax because yeah Por- portugal was it was it was a tough week so <laughs> having having that night to just kind of relax in front of the television it's like this is nice so yeah i was i think i was at the jury final in 2018 as well so oh, cool. it also meant i got i got to see um so that that version of a series performance that is the one generally available now is the one from that mm-hmm. show obviously not the uh, not the interrupted one from the final the other thing in 2016 about being at the jury final was that we got love love peace peace the day before everybody else oh nice uh, and our jaws dropped going this is going to be amazing tomorrow when everyone sees this. This is so exciting. And I and I want to tell everyone how great it is, but I also don't want to spoil anything about it at the same time. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, no. <laughs> I've ended up alternating. I had been doing even-numbered years, going to Eurovision. And then uh, in odd-numbered years, I've got uh, a whole bunch of friends into quizzing. Where they go to a Greek island and just do quizzing for a week. Um, in the sun and so I've been doing that on odd numbered years and then going to Eurovision on even numbered years because they kind of clash in May mm-hmm. but um, I don't know what's going to happen now because I had tickets for 2020 and they will roll over to 2021 but then you know we don't know what's going to happen yet about audiences so it's all a bit up in the air yeah, although like the quizzing in Greece sounds uh, yeah. like a very nice alternative <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, oh absolutely <laughs> it's a good fallback there's a trivia event in the states every year called the trivia championships of, of North America that happens every summer in Las Vegas which is much less of a fun place to, to do quizzing in than, than Greece it is yeah it's nice I mean we had the last time I was there there was the weather wasn't brilliant um, Italy but but yeah when you can get when you got the, the sun kind of beating down you're literally just sitting around the pool with a beer asking each other quiz questions that is lovely uh. I like it. in fact one uh when i went there in 20 it was 2017 um i was in Rhodes, and we had a terrible experience with the flight being cancelled and got stuck at the airport for a whole day and then got shipped off to a hotel to spend the night and it was the night of the first semi-final and i was getting very antsy about the fact that i was supposed to be home already and I was potentially going to miss the semi-final. And in the end, everyone else is sitting in the hotel bar where we've been shipped off to in the middle of roads. And I'm in my room watching Greek television, yeah. <laughs> listening to their commentary um, of the of the final in Kiev. We had something like a dozen quizzes sitting in an airport departure lounge. We got through about 10,000 quiz questions just waiting for the planes to sort themselves out. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some nerdery. Getting back to the Six on Stage project, I mean, with smaller countries, it's just a smaller pool of people to draw from. So it's not really 
as surprising if people mm. are popping up more than once. Does that hold true for larger countries or is there a wider distribution? I'm using the totally wrong terminology here, but like is it are there a lot of repeat performers from the larger part- larger participating countries? Yeah, I think there are. And they're not even they're not even necessarily people who were big stars. I'm trying to think of someone like Cheryl Baker, who is very notably a member of Bucks Fizz, mm. but she'd been she'd taken part as a member of a different band, Coco, a few years before that. And uh, a year or two before that, they'd taken part in the UK selection for the first time and come second, I think. Mm. Um, so, so, so she had three national finals and two appearances at Eurovision and one of which won. And that's the only one anyone remembers, but she wasn't a star until that win. And she wasn't an established pop performer. And then you've got people like Cliff Richard, who they kind of was from an era where the BBC would pick a singer and who was already established and go to them and say, please come and sing mm-hmm. multiple songs. Um, and they clearly, he clearly was happy. I think he was a bit bitter about not having won in 1968. So was up for coming again and trying to win a second time. I think so. sometimes, yeah, sometimes that happens with lead performers anyway, that, you know, people like Dima Balan come close mm-hmm. and, um, and feel like they could do it if they just had an extra push. Um, it's obviously, very much the kind of thing that uh, Ben was talking about last time. But with the backing singers, I think it's actually that um, some of them are associated with the TV channels. Some of them are like an in-house choir that, that perform yeah. on other shows. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them just, I think, get trusted. So, you know, the Norwegian broadcaster has sent someone out there and they did a good job and they behaved themselves and everyone got on with them, then then you're less likely to be hunting for a particular sound or a particular singer. I noticed watching Norway on Eurovision again, um, the backing singers from 2005 are the same people who've done loads and loads of other ones. So you've got this very different style of performance, very rocky performance, but you've got the same backing singers who have done loads and loads of other different types, and you know, they just sing what they, what they need to sing. So I think part of it is if you've proved yourself as a backing singer and you're reliable, um, then people will will ask you to do it or even hunt you hunt you out some of the um people like anna celine who represented estonia with runaway she's done backing for lots of different countries and clearly has a good track record and can say you know his, i've got experience on the eurovision stage i'm not gonna be faced by it so you know that i'll turn up and do what i need to do well, yeah, and just going back to like Hera Bjork as well, who's done backing for a number of different performances, was the act in 2010 and like was part of the Icelandic semifinal that Hatari was in. Iceland is kind of an example of a, of a much smaller country where your pool is, I mean, not, not limited because they've clearly, they've clearly got a really interesting music scene. Um, mm-hmm. But particularly when it comes to backing singers, it's understandable why they they see a lot of the same people. And particularly people who, who don't seem to have any qualms about going back from being the person at the front being behind the scenes again. So mm-hmm. I think Hero did backing singing, I think, before and after. The members of Euroband, yeah, they, they've done backing singing at the time. I think Regina Osk was a backing singer for Selma in 2005 um, when she didn't get through the semifinals. In fact, I noticed uh, after Eurovision again did 1999, I was watching the video for Selma's other song, the one that came second, and uh, you, you spot Hero Bjork in that music video. Um, oh, interesting! Eleven years before she was at Eurovision, yeah, she's—I mean, she's a very recognisable character, and, and we, were, we were pressing pause, going, "Is that her?" Like, yes, it, yes, it is. Everyone knows each other in you know in a small community like that. Everyone knows each mm-hmm. other, and they probably go on tour together, and they build up these personal relationships, and probably ask each other to to come and help. 
Yeah, and I have to imagine, particularly with Symphonics Collective and just so much cross-pollination in who's constructing Eurovision entries now, it is just getting even more and more who you know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you you certainly see when a lot of countries like to go for Swedish backing singers because they've clearly got a reputation as being good at Eurovision. Mm-hmm. And so some the the backing singers you see most cropping up with lots of different countries tend to be Swedish. But I think part of that is the writers. So when you have a lot of Swedish backing singers, often you then discover that Thomas Giesen has written the song. Um, mm-hmm. I think George, Georgia 2016 is an example of that. So I think sometimes the, the, the whole team behind it will already have contacts and have people that they'll pull in. And, and because writers and production teams are probably the most frequent overlap between different countries and different entries, if they then bring in backing singers and dancers, then that's where you're going to get more overlap as well. Mm-hmm. Has Eurovision again been helpful in this project? Yeah, absolutely. Partly because it's just... Uh, forced me to pick a particular year and look into that and made me want want to make sure that year is as complete as possible. But also because for some of the older contests, it's actually just provided a higher quality print of the show. Mm. So some of the some of the blurred dots in the background that I would be staring at previously, I actually have a window where I can take a proper look and see if I can recognise anyone. I mean, that's it's, it gets a bit weird when you start to think, is that a particular person? What, I start knowing the yeah. <laughs> names of random <laughs> backing singers. But um, but yeah, so it's it's been really helpful. And even just being able to count them. Sometimes the the, the the pictures are so blurry. You just I just want to know how many people there are and how, who mm. who I'm missing or if I've got everyone. And just yeah, actually just having a better picture um, is is one of the greatest things that Eurovision again does for this project. When we first looked at 1979, we were working off of like a YouTube print that was that was okay, but the version that we get on Eurovision again has just been lovely to see. 1979. There's an interesting bit I remember with the interval act, they all come on stage. And so I was pausing that, trying to go, is this my best chance to identify someone? It's often it's often the green room footage. In 1978, there's bits where they're standing off stage and passing each other and going up and down in the lift. It's, mm. it's sometimes you end up resorting to those rather than the actual performances where they're actively trying to ignore the backing vocalists. With the vocalists that are like so completely off stage like how 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 do you go about tracking those people down or, or are they just listed as question marks with the more recent ones so there was a, the big change is that since 2015 you didn't have to have backing singers on stage visible so what had been sometimes an exercise in connivance to hide them as carefully as possible um you were just allowed to not be there which is convenient for the people performing but actually really inconvenient for me yeah but <laughs> But it that coincides with a kind of change to people tending to press release much more and there being so much more of a Eurovision bubble of press mm-hmm. over the period where people you know, want to be given a list of everyone in the delegation and who the roles are and they will be proud to announce that, you know, this notable person is backing singing for them. So actually the more recent ones, it's not so much of a problem because there tends to be documentary evidence wherever it came from originally, but presumably put out by the delegations themselves, quite happily saying this is who everyone is. To be honest... I have to take their word for it. I can't tell if there's an extra person hiding away. Unless all the backing singers are female and there's an extremely male voice right. on the track somewhere. <laughs> and I mean, in the case of in the case of Croatia 1999, that was a sample. So uh, yeah, that was a slight misbehavior by them. I had to kind of rely on the information there. Before that, it is much more of a case of literally trying to peer in and count up and, and spot where they've been hidden. And that at least means I know how many there are. And then even if there's no clear picture of them, 
I can hunt around in you know, some people put it some people put it in their LinkedIn profile. <laughs> but, <laughs> so but the level of, of Googling I've been doing <laughs> where where you discover you just or you discover that someone was the choreographer and that gives you another name and the the only thing I haven't done yet, which which may well be down the line, is to literally just start emailing people um, I mean, if if he's not careful, I'm going to end up sending Krista Bjorkman a desperate Instagram message saying, who are those guys? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few gaps for Sweden is I have no idea who his backing singers are. Huh. And he'll know, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thinking about these strategic ways, we're like, okay, we're going to keep everybody's eyes and the cameras over here so they don't see the two backing singers that are like over in this corner of the stage. One of the things I've discovered watching older ones, particularly watching them in a row, do you know which country is behind this, I think? Which country started hiding backing singers away? It's in the 80s, kind of towards the end of the 70s, but particularly in the 80s, of all the countries that's a trailblazer at Eurovision, it's the UK. Huh. All the other countries happily putting their backing singers on stage. The UK, through the 80s, starts hiding them away. Not not consistently, sometimes sometimes they're they're more visible than others but so 1980 there's just an act that's six people but 1981 bucks fizz there are two backing singers supposedly and they're literally so well concealed that i don't 100 percent believe they exist all the websites list these two people but i cannot see them anywhere in any of the footage and no one else does that in 81 they happily let you see that they're their backing singers are there and then um, in 1983 where there's a trio on stage there are three backing singers, and they are hidden behind the orchestra, between the orchestra and the audience. And it's only in a really, really long shot at the end. You can see, just in this grainy footage, three people walking away from microphones. And it's so devious. 1984, they hide them under some steps. There's a, there's, a, there's a nice plinth for them to stand on, but they don't want anyone to know they're there. So they hide them under the steps, and you can see these figures kind of just in shadow at the back. And fortunately, that's one where there's documentary evidence about who they are. Anyway, I think, if I remember, but it's it's just so needlessly devious. It's just like let the people let us appreciate them doing a good job. It's not it's not damaging to the performers to say they're getting some backing vocals. That's just how that's, that's how works. live performed music works. But, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely reasonable. And but I I do think the UK needs to take some of the blame for the people who then start trying to hide people later on because actually you know let them. Alex Panayi, who was Helena Paparizzi's backing singer in 2005, he's there, you know, he's there on, on the plinth. He's not really massively focused in the shot, but he's not hidden either. He's standing on a plinth with a microphone lit. Four years later, when he's doing it for Sarkis, um, and Sarkis is standing on his giant stapler, he's in darkness <laughs> <laughs> at the back with all, all these dancers and, you know, Sarkis jumping around and there's uh, Alex Panayi, uh, his microphone, in, um, in darkness so you don't attract any attention at all. It's a shame. I'm just so glad that we just immediately know what the giant stapler is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, really, I don't think there's anything that you can do to pull focus from a giant stapler. The <laughs> <So. laughs> giant LED stapler, yeah. It's a challenge because Yasu Maria is another it's another Greek one. Yasu Maria in 2007, Sarbel's got all these dancers around him, but there's clearly a male vocal helping there somewhere and, and but concealed so carefully that it's it's a real pain. 
has there ever been a case where there's been more than six people on stage? Like, I, I, I've seen shots uh, at times where, like, you could sometimes see the camera person, uh, like, yeah, the camera operator running around. But like, any any violations of the rules that you've noticed, or has everybody I, kept to the six on stage rule? I don't, I don't think so. Just because um, it's so easy to for the for the organizers to police, you know, mm. they're giving out a certain number of passes. They know who's supposed to be where at any given time. Right, and, and it's tricky though. With the, with the camera people because when you're trying to spot is that person who's wandering around there a backing singer or is it a camera person waiting mm. to shift out that that could be tricky i think the closest are the closest one is again again from 2005 i was a bit puzzled when i realized there's a male backing singer who you don't see and there's someone there's someone down the left hand side that i could see on the grainy footage before and i really couldn't tell if it was a stage manager or a backing singer or a camera person and having watched the cleaned up Eurovision again copy, I think it probably is the backing singer. But what complicated it is that uh, Martin Stenmark has a mic stand thrown in partway through the number. And so he's got all these dancers and then someone throws him a mic stand. I'm like, Well, is the person who throws in the mic stand the backing singer? Because they would be in the wrong place. But if it's anyone else, then there would be seven people on stage because someone has to engage with that. You are allowed more people on stage if they aren't part of the act. There's a whole thing with Danny Im being wheeled off a box or something in 2016. Mm -hmm. And stagehands can do that. But I always figured like they couldn't do stuff in the song. They could set up the song and then leave. I think it's a it's a stage management person who throws Martin Stenmark his microphone stand and it's part of putting on the show and that there are... There are elements where you can get help if they're not really dancing and they're not really singing and, and they're kind of just helping you execute mm. your performance. And, and I'll tell you how I, had, I, I went through um, a load of behind the scenes footage uh, that people had posted and I found rehearsal footage where you could actually see the woman who was giving or chucking him his um, stick and she had a, you know, a different type of lanyard and different security stuff and popped up in different places and was clearly part of the production team and not part of the delegation okay. um, and that and that is the, the the lengths to which i go to try yeah. and work out who <laughs> someone is diving into fan footage on on youtube yeah <laughs> yeah and i and i've been um i discovered a whole treasure trove of fan videos from basically like holiday videos but people who clearly had press accreditation mm-hmm. and they literally post up a two-hour long video of just random shots from their video camera and you're skimming through it Sometimes pausing and like going, oh, here's Linda Martin doing some cabaret, but also going, okay, this year they've managed to get into the arena and are recording the rehearsals. Can I get a clearer view from their <laughs> home video than I do uh, on stage? I can't. I don't think I've, I've discovered anyone, but it's it's a it's good to have that that, that resource, even though um, half the video tends to be just like nice pictures of the city as they, yeah. <laughs> as they wander around. It's a good pl- palate cleanser, I would guess, but. <laughs> Now, do st- are stage invaders counted at all uh, no, in this project? No, I'm, no. I'm, specifically, I'm specifically thinking of Spain's 2010 incident where the guy fully integrates himself into the performance. Yes. He does such a good job of it. That's a like, great job. I don't remember this from the rehearsal footage, but huh, that is an extra person. Though. Yeah, if you, if you make the song better, then you can go on the website. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they should be um, given the gift of uh, a credit. That's uh, they should mm. be airbrushed out of history as much as possible. That does seem fair. So, <laughs> Will, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. This is this was a lot of fun. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for the website. It's great to have 
another source of information <laughs> and th- thanks to like double double check uh on to double uh, check our big scary spreadsheet yes um <laughs> if, if anyone listening you know goes on there and sees gaps and knows uh particularly if they've got a proper source but even if they just you know they're fairly sure about who someone is then please get in touch and let me know because i am i am desperate to tick off all the little gaps excellent how can people contact you and where can they find you so i'm at will howls on twitter they can also email me at truth at six on stage.com named in honor of azerbaijan's 2019 entry and either of those is great for uh, for getting in touch mike i have great news it is it is our favorite time of year it is logistics time Yay! If there's one thing we love here at the Your What Podcast, it is logistics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and uh, there are so many logistics happening right now, Mike, uh, because given that, you know, I'm just sort of gesturing at the state of the world right now uh, mm-hmm. here in 2020. Uh, and after the lessons we've learned this year in March, the Dutch broadcaster had and, and the EBU have come together and said, we have four potential plans for Eurovision next year. In plan A, if 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 all goes well, if it's business as usual, it's business as usual. We have a we have a vaccine. There's rapid testing. Eurovision is going to go ahead as planned. Uh, that feels really optimistic to me, especially from our point of especially view. Especially from Whoa. our point of view, where it's just like, <laughs> oh boy, it is probably in the realm of possibility. Oh yeah, like, no, like yeah, outside outside chance, but outside outside chance. But I, I'm a pragmatist, and looking at plan like plan B, plan B makes a lot of sense. Plan B is social distancing Eurovision. Uh, a limited delegation size, more importantly, a new seating plan that's going to require a ticket lottery uh, where people get full refunds if you uh, if you do not win the lottery twice. The, the second that that came out, I also had an email from our, our from our lovely ticket vendor being like, hey, <laughs> hope you saw this. This applies to you. I'm hopeful that that's what ends up happening. Yeah. Real talk. A really does seem like a pipe dream, but yeah. B B I think should be the goal. At yeah, B this point. B should be mm. yeah, B feels like a reasonable goal. It's it's the Eurovision that still feels like a Eurovision. Mm-hmm. But if plan B does not work out, there is a plan C. If there are travel restrictions for some delegations, depending on, on the state of COVID across the world, delegations that are unable to travel to the Netherlands will perform remotely. So that feels very much like the the remote Eurovision that was sort of tossed around in in March as things were sort of getting worse. It could work. I it could know. it like, could work, yeah. but I feel like, especially just as somebody who watches a lot of the national finals and just notices the difference in quality and just just based on what nations have available in their telecom, it that would be a visible that would be visible. I think, especially just thinking of like when they talk to spokes people like during the scoring segment and how there's oftentimes a delay just between broadcasters because that's just how it works sometimes that's that's Uh, just how television works yeah it'll it'll be interesting to see how they navigate any like those sort of technical issues there is a plan d as well which which is just plan uh oh uh, mm-hmm. Which is which is all delegations performing remotely. One, you know, that sort of the core team in the venue, and then just sort of going nation to nation, broadcaster to broadcaster. In some sense, no activities in Rotterdam. Essentially, no Eurovision Village, that sort of thing. Uh, it seems like they are using Junior Eurovision as a test run for this setup this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Mm-hmm. I might actually watch it this year to see how it plays. Just, just out, like yeah, just so. like get a, get a sneak peek of what we might be watching from home. Mm-hmm. See see what other exciting new innovations are are popping up in the R and D lab over at Eurovision headquarters. Yeah, <laughs> testing it on children. It's great. No. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, that's a, that's a fun and appropriate yeah. joke. That is, yeah. that is <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that. Anyways, <laughs> some other fun logistical details about Eurovision, regardless of whether we are on plan A, B, C, or D, fingers crossed for B, uh, mm-hmm. the logo might get tweaked. Uh, the stage and slogan are going to stay the same, which I liked the stage design. I was very excited about the stage design, weirdly. So, and like, mm-hmm. open up <laughs> feels feels like a nice little ray of optimistic sunshine in 2021. Um, and then Nikki Tutorials has officially joined the hosting team, which as somebody who has been watching the, the current season of Vias de Mole, Nikki Diager is just popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it may also be the case uh, that I just missed it last year when she officially joined the team because she was doing green room stuff as part of the like virtual rollout of uh, Europe Shine a Light. But uh, maybe maybe that was the plan all along was that she was going to be doing green room interview, like the, the web presence stuff. She's going to be handling the web presence, which like she is a massive uh, YouTuber and, and mm-hmm. makeup YouTuber in particular, which is its own whole sphere. Mm-hmm. She's not in the controversial part of makeup YouTube. Is she? No, or, no, 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 okay. no, 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 <laughs> no. Is that good or bad? <laughs> I have watched at this point too many explainer videos about what happens in makeup YouTube, and I do, I do not know. <laughs> so many podcasts that I listen to uh, uh, have done stories about uh, Drama Geddon from last yes. year. <laughs> yes, delightful listens. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where things stand in terms of the contest structure. Uh, in terms of countries that are participating, uh, since we last checked in, uh, Albania, Iceland, Italy, North Macedonia, and Russia uh, have all confirmed that they're going to be participating. So we are up to 37 countries. No new ones yet for, compared to last year's list. Uh, still waiting on four uh, to send in their RSVP. Uh, but it's still kind of early. Like they, they've, they've still got a couple couple more weeks. In terms of how various national finals are shaking out, Melfest will be starting on Saturday, February 6th, the first Saturday in February, which is pretty standard. Uh, it'll run for six weeks and end on March 13th. All shows are going to be in Stockholm this year. They're not going to be doing the uh, cross-country tour like they normally do. And a lot of that just has to do with the sort of travel and audience size restrictions. They haven't picked the venue yet, but they're adamant that it will not just be in a television studio. Like it will actually be in a place so that they could potentially have an audience depending on if those restrictions get lifted or expanded or what have you. Uh, One of the interesting things that I read in one of the articles about the schedule dropping is that this is the 20th edition of the current format that they use for Melfest, where instead of it just being a one-day like national song festival, it expanded to a six-show format. Since it's the 20th edition, that's a year that ends in zero. So they're going to celebrate. Exactly. Uh, it's a year that ends in zero. We have to we have to celebrate years that end in zero. This may be the last year that they use the current format. They're expecting to make either tweaks or overhauls uh, for next year's format. So um, that could be exciting. I'm not sure what they're planning, but uh, yeah, Sweden's going to Sweden, you know? So, (laughs) I mean, they had announced earlier in the year that they were going to be looking for more parody among songwriters. So Mm. as long as you are trying to to do that why not look at the whole system and see what else is due for for some new ideas i'm kind of excited yeah (laughs) i'm I'm very interested to see what what sweden gives us in in not next year but a couple years from now Mm -hmm. 
last time I talked at length about artists that had repeated twice, and at the time we had 19 artists that were returning from the planned 2020 contest to 2021. Uh, one group that will not be joining those numbers, it turns out, is is Val from Belarus. Aww. So Belarus has not confirmed their petition from one way or the other yet. They are one of the nations we are waiting for the RSVP from. Uh, but they have confirmed that Val is not going to be their representative, which I'm like, David Na has grown on me a lot. I love that track. And I think that they're um, really fascinating artists. But mm-hmm. uh, Belarus is kind of Belarus has it been right having now. a busy summer. It yeah. turns out in other ways. I feel like I've slightly under undersold that, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyways, in a recent interview and in some recent Instagram posts announcing announcing all of this, uh, Val had been interviewed and said that the BTRC had been treating them like non-conforming artists. Belarus is going through a lot of stuff right now. Uh, Val has been supporting the protests that have followed the Belarus presidential election, and BTRC has said that the duo has no conscience. BTRC is state-run television, so television, yeah. so yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I mean, it is kind of par for the course for Belarus. Like, it, it's one of the reasons that I do like Belarus's approach to Eurovision, where they will just make unilateral changes if things aren't working. Like, they will just do a late-stage substitution, but like they did in 2012, and not apologize for it, mm-hmm. which, like, not great for the artists, but from a competitive angle, uh, I, I am intrigued, but... Yeah, this is just, this is just whole situation is just so dire and yeah, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it is it is kind of par for the course from Belarus, but also justice for Val. Mm-hmm. A couple days after seeing one of those Instagram posts, there was another Instagram post where they're engaged now. So like they oh. seem to be they seem to be having a great time, regardless of whether they're going to be on the Eurovision stage or not. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I, I missed that post. Um, possibly because I thought that they might have already been engaged or married uh like, i i did not know the status of their relationship before and so I, in fairness neither did i but like oh. just learned a lot from yeah. from checking on their instagram page yeah yeah so uh congratulations yeah congratulations val much continued success regardless of your vision or not yes yes and I, I could see another country maybe considering snatching them up. Like, oh yeah, no, like, like if if they rolled into Pabandum is now, I would mm-hmm. not, I would not dislike it. Ooh, ooh, that would be interesting. Better watch out the group. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, let's see. Uh, in terms of other singers that are returning, a lot of the people working with the Dream Team are getting stuff done. Uh, Stefania, who's representing Greece. Uh, she is in Greece right now recording. Uh, their their goal is to have four songs to present to the Greek delegation. And it's not known yet like how they're going to do the selection. If it's just going to be here are four songs and Greece goes, yes, that one. Or if there's going to be some form of public input, like a national final or public voting consideration thing. It sounds a little bit like they're figuring it out as they're going along, which mm-hmm. is fine. It's it's October. Uh, they've got the time to do that. Ugo Suviste uh, is working on his entry for SD Lal. He has a fast pass to the semifinals. Uh, I, I was mistaken. I thought he had a fast pass right to the finals, but no, he just has a fast pass to the semis. Uh, and he's working with the Dream Team again. I don't think I knew that he was working with the Dream Team this year. In hindsight, yes, it makes so much sense now that I listen to that song again. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is full on dream team. And then uh, Natalie Gordienko, who's representing Moldova, uh, is recording and she's working on an uptempo entry. Good. Yeah. Like Moldova, I appreciate that you're trying new things, but I, I demand wine mom energy. Prison, I wouldn't say it's growing on me, but yeah, it, it just hits a like particularly angsty spot, which can be kind of fun in the middle of a playlist. So. I still have it on, on like my large... 2020 playlist Mm -hmm. which has too many things on it and i really need to prune it uh but every so often prism will come up and my reaction every time is the same which is what is this why is this on here (laughs) did spotify run out of things and start just like go on to like the random shuffle mode that it does Mm -hmm. and then i click and then i click to open Spotify. i'm like oh right this is moldova's entry from this year yeah i'll I'll be curious to hear that and i kind of like the idea that we already know that there's going to be some up-tempo stuff in the potential mix uh because Ooh, yeah, I'm very concerned about what the tone of next year is going oh, to be. Oh, yeah, no, so. I, I was just about to say that, like, I feel like there could be a lot of delegations going, well, we need to have a very serious moment on the stage. Yeah, I'm just like, no, we, we it's like, wanted to party. Yeah. <laughs> How about we celebrate that we're here and we're alive, and we do that yes. through dance? That is what I would yes. like. Yes. More celebration, please. More celebration, Yes. Congratulations to anybody who had a long list for Sunit's series of videos that she is doing and continuing to release. We are like four into this, Mike, and I'm getting real concerned. Yeah. There are there are a <laughs> lot of there are a lot of ideas happening. And like I like some of the ideas because like she covered congratulations this month. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of because San Marino is right by Italy, riffing on the work of Federico Fellini. Mm-hmm. That's a very fun idea. That's a very Italian idea. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of fun. I also love the idea of doing a David Bowie tribute for one of these videos, because he was a visionary performer. He did a lot of fun stuff. It's a lot of very great visuals. I do not understand doing both during, doing both the David Bowie video and the Federico Fellini tribute in the same video. Those are not two great tastes that go better together. David Bowie's having a very weird moment in pop culture right now, because uh, there was that alleged david bowie head in that one bake-off challenge oh yeah that i that was a room full of people who had bitten off more than they could chew yeah yeah which i think is a great way of describing which is a great way of describing the work that sunny's doing Well, for me, the, t- the tweet came out. It was like, oh, we're doing congratulations. Because it was also like in honor of uh, Sunit's birthday. I guess yes. it was her birthday in the past month. So uh, happy birthday, Sunit. Congratulations um, and, and celebrations. As it yes. Were. Uh, well, I saw that it was uh, congratulations. And it's just like, okay, is this the 1968 Cliff Richard one? Or is this Iceland's congratulations? And I feel like you could make a case that it could have been either version that was happening that said i would absolutely love to see sunit do the sylvia knight version yes yes like that's a that's a fun that's that's a fun performance choice like this weird shouty version of congratulations Mm. because like in addition to the fellini and the david bowie like the instrumentation on this was very much like the beyonce coachella performance that was very brass heavy and very yeah which again another another really cool idea why are all of these things happening at once? Like once all of these videos are done, if you just watch them in a sequence, if it 
like just one immediately after the other if there is a coherent thread or if it's just gonna be like watching an episode of twin peaks and i mean i think <laughs> i was i was very happy that at least this time there was not like an all lives matter moment at the end that they instead like also i clicked on the video and it was six minutes long and i and i freaked out because i'm like mm -hmm. the cliff richard song is not that long oh yeah. no oh no <laughs> Um, but no, and then like halfway through, it's like, oh, okay, cool. So it's just like a normal size video and then just a lot of birthday mess. Valentina Minetta needed to say happy birthday to Sunit Mike. True. So <laughs> that was a very important moment. I was just it, very happy to was. see her. She's living her best life. Mm -hmm. You can rent her house on Airbnb. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. I got to dig up that link. Uh <laughs> yeah. Elsewhere in, in films that I'm excited to watch, Hatari's movie, A Song Called Hate, had its Icelandic premiere a week, week and a half ago from mm -hmm. where we are currently taping, and it's going to be premiering at the at the Polish Film Festival uh, next week. So at some point, I hope that that means that I can rent it from somewhere online and watch the movie. Have you seen any reactions or reviews from the Reykjavik screening? From the Reykjavik screening? Um, I follow the, the film's official Instagram account because I want mm. all of the information I can get about it. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of great photos from the premiere. It looked like everybody was doing some social distancing and some mm. masks, although some yeah, members of Atari are not are not strangers to wearing masks during nope. the premiere. <laughs> um, that looked great. It looked like there were the normal things for like a, a film festival or a movie premiere or like some talks with the artists after the, after the fact mm -hmm. where I do still need to like sit down and go through the Icelandic newspapers and and see what the thoughts were there. Yeah. <laughs> Just just do the normal thing that I do now of just going to yeah. the major Icelandic news sites and, <laughs> and like popping articles into Google Translate. That's my life now. <sighs> I do this for fun. Yeah. Well gotta gotta keep busy during mm -hmm. these lockdown times. It's so. fun. it's it's fun to have <laughs> hobbies. Yes, yes. And and let's be real, this would be happening regardless of this would be happening regardless, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Keeping an eye on any Eurovision in the wild. More randomness in the last few weeks. Danelia Tulashova, uh, who was on uh, America's Got Talent, uh, she she did make it to the finals. Uh, she performed Sia's Alive, something, something, Dunkin' Donuts voting, something, Shrine of the Silver Monkey. I don't know how any of the scoring works. Uh, she got knocked out before top five. I don't know what that means other than she did not win, unfortunately. So <laughs> she did not um, win and that there there was a top five and she was yeah, not in it. Okay. Yes. So um yeah, better luck next time, maybe I I, don't I, know. I don't know. Like um, I I have yeah. no desire to watch America's Got Talent. Please stop yeah. applying to America's Got Talent, former Eurovision alumni. I am begging you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I would not be shocked if we see her again in some capacity either in upcoming national selections or internal selections yeah uh she's doing her thing uh she's doing her thing and it's great <laughs> the one that i am keeping close tabs on is the just dance uh 2021 playlist and uh uno by a uh, little big has been uh added to the mix this one's interesting because their song skibbity is that how it's pronounced skibbity yes um, it, it, that was in last year's edition, so they already had kind of a working relationship with the Just Dance franchise. And so it's no surprise that this one, particularly from like the Eurovision entries this year that could end up on the Just Dance list, that this one is on the list. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I am intrigued by is the art style of the uh, of the playthrough video that they had uh, posted on YouTube is different than the normal uh, Just Dance art style 
And I'm wondering if that is art that was going to be used in their like stage performance or if the choreography is matching what they were planning on doing uh, in Rotterdam this year. It's pretty reminiscent of what we saw in the original music video, but mm-hmm. yeah, for like the people it, who like to do fantasy staging concepts, uh, yeah, <laughs> I know you're out there. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 is my working theory right now. My thighs already hurt from like having attempted to do the dance earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the choreography. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, they've also got the like the karate moves in there. It's just like, yeah, it's, it looks like it's an athletic performance, but still expecting there to be maybe one or two more Eurovision connections coming through uh, on the playlist. They're, they're dropping these track announcements like a couple each week, it seems. So mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a slow that... drip uh, until the game drops a uh, middle of November. Give me that sweet, sweet Dothy Frere. Think mm-hmm. about things choreo and then the last item uh for the eurovision in the wild and i think this is maybe the wildest one um (laughs) e is handling the people's choice awards this year and eurovision song contest this uh story of fire saga is up for a couple of awards which um cool uh (laughs) i don't know like the people's choice awards are like pretty weird like or just weird in general yeah like the whole nomination slate like there there are a whole bunch of categories where you're just like who (laughs) and uh yeah will ferrell got nominated for his performance which is insane which is wrong that was that was what i was maddest about is like if you're going to highlight a performance in that movie it is not will ferrell's performance yeah, there were, there were so many other categories that uh, it could have been nominated, but it was uh, Will Ferrell for that, and then... Best Comedy Movie. Yes. Well, the, the, uh, the Comedy Movie of 2020, which in fairness, there have not been a ton of movies in 2020. I'm looking at its competition. Yeah, I mean, like, that, that I think is part of the reason why this got nominated for things, or it's just like, well, it's one of... 12 things that is available to choose from. <laughs> it, is, and... it is a film that publicists promoted. Yeah, and but like what's shocking to me is like Husevik didn't get nominated, and there was a category for like best song from a movie streaming on Netflix or something. Like there were like some very specific categories where like you would expect your vision to fit in, and it didn't. And then yeah, I just really want, I'm 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 furiously scrolling through this to find no. the, to find like the very specific best song from a movie that that debuted on Netflix in mm-hmm. in June. Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, I mean, Husevik could have been nominated, but but Yaya Ding Dong split the vote. Sure. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Look, the the idea of People's Choice Award winning song Yaya Ding Dong just feels wrong. The, okay, no, looking at song the song of twenty twenty, those are those are actual songs oh yeah but no there, there was like a specific movie song category okay and, and that's the other thing it's like why are there like seven thousand categories for this I, I think this is also the first year that e is hosting the people's choice awards it's, yeah I, I was i was just like why is this on e um, yeah but um wh- why is this is really why why also why is this <laughs> uh yeah and voting is open. You are people. You can make a choice. And uh, yeah, you can make your choice the Eurovision movie, uh, which I suppose we should encourage that. But we should, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really more like I don't want to support the people's choice. Do, do not vote for Will Ferrell. Do not vote for Will Ferrell. <laughs> uh, yeah, that one. 
Although, who is he up against is, is the other question. Like, they're weirdly specific and then weirdly general. Uh, okay, but... comedy movie star of 2020. Will Ferrell is up against David Spade for The Wrong Missy, a movie I have no clue what that's about. Mm. Issa Rae from The Lovebirds. Okay, I did. Yeah, it is comedy movie star. Okay. We here. We don't need gendered categories in 2020. I love it. Um, Joey King for The Kissing Booth 2. Keanu Reeves for Bill and Ted Face the Music. Noah Centineo for To All the Boys. P.S. I Still Love You. Pete Davidson for The King of Staten Island and Salma Hayek for Like a Boss. These are all films that exist, Mike. Yeah, the comedy movies of 2020, Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Uh, I do like that it's alphabetically... Wait, no, it's not even alphabetically nope. first. Got, nope. Nope. No sense of order. <laughs> what? <laughs> all is chaos. Yeah, so it's uh, Eurovision, Like a Boss, The Kissing Booth 2, King of Staten Island, Lovebirds, Wrong Missy, uh, to all the boys, P.S. I still love you. Bill and Ted face the music. Oh my god! What, okay, did they just pick one? This? Did they just pick one actor from each of the movies that's nominated? I guess. I may have cracked the code, Mike. Oh man, yeah. Still, like, still, like, like twelve other people that they could pick from. from <laughs> like in that, in that movie, watching yeah, Will, like, Car- Will Ferrell do the same Will Ferrell character he's done in most of his movies. Yeah. And going, this is groundbreaking. Mm. We love it. Uh, Apparently, I had some leftover thoughts about the movie. Yeah, um. no. <laughs> I don't know. It gives us an excuse to link back to our crossover yes. episode. So, yeah, if you want to hear our thoughts about Eurovision Song Contest, Story of Fire Saga, check the show notes. Check the show notes. Um. <laughs> Bloodshot. That was the other one I was trying to think of. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Bloodshot, the last movie released in theaters. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, Eurovision Wild, very wild at the It has moment. been very wild. Yeah. This yeah. episode has, been, has gotten very wild. Yeah, uh, but yeah. but we are we are all out of news. Mm-hmm. You're all out of news. Happy October, everybody. Yes. That's going to do it for this episode of the Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. Thanks again to Will Howells for joining us. You can find his website at sixonstage.com. You can find our website at eurowhat.com and reach us on social media at eurowhat. Episode 100 is coming up, and we want you to ask us anything. We have a lovely feature on our website where you can yell at us and or send us messages and or send us your questions. Please use that. Please don't yell at us. <laughs> Please be nice. Uh, next time on the Euro What, we will be trying to make sense about Eurovision alumni on The Mass Singer. 